Welcome to the Sound Plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods, Book 2 of the series, A Bridge of Doom. Here we continue the tales shared in Book 1. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back, switch to Season 1, and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd love to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to help in keeping these complex theatrical productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com listed with a description of each episode. Except for those preferring to remain anonymous, we will gladly announce you as a benefactor in the final credits of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is Episode 3. sheltered by the umbrella of branches extending out from very large old trees lining the way. Buildings of quarry-cut stone met on all sides of the concourse, except at one end, which opened onto a central square of the campus. The enchanter mutely followed his friend, drinking in the sights with his eyes. The resolved not to ask questions, he observed and absorbed all that he saw. Most of the stone structures offered marble steps leading to their doors lying hidden in the shadows of carved archways, though something in the repetition of their design and ease of line conveyed to Gaewan that they were not carved so much as molded. He mused over the idea of stone that was pliable like mortar, yet solid like granite. Many of the windows were mullioned, much to his curiosity. Familiar latticed eyes stared darkly across the promenade at each other. If each building is supposed to mock 
the style of the other, what is different about Paul's room with its large single-paned window? He tried to turn and look at the building from which they had come, but was greeted with a confusing collage of structures. Deciding wool gathering would only afford him getting hopelessly lost, he scurried back to Paul's side. Except for the unusually dressed people populating the walkways, Gaewon discovered a sense of home somehow, and he found comfort in this. Hmm, some things, even if they just be window mullions, can be similar between worlds. He was successfully skirting the slate path, unnoticed by the steady stream of people when they entered the central square. What he saw there stopped him dead in his tracks. regally from its raised plaza at one end of the square where Paul continued across. God! Formed out of quarry cut stone and their curious molding stone, staring with its bell windows into the heavens, its ornamented spires defying gravity and piercing the sky, the cathedral tower stood, its majesty commanding all from the comparatively small buildings littering the earth next to it and the puny people scurrying around and through it. How beautiful. His mouth hung open, so struck was he by the similarity of this tower to the royal cathedral tower of Forum, where the throne of the king rested. Oblivious to the milling crowd, Gaewon gazed in reverence and wondered what sort of monarch resided within the mighty pinnacle. Several moments passed before he noticed Paul's voice in his thoughts relayed by Glink. Where the hell are you? Gaewon! Christ! Either of you! The enchanter shook himself out of the web of wonderment and looked around for his friend. He noted that in his days, he had fortunately stepped off the walkway and been able to gawk undisturbed. There was Paul, a good distance across the square and into the next promenade of buildings that reflected the first one, the poor fellow frantically glancing around as if he thought he might catch a glimpse of Gaemon in the flow of traffic. Avoiding the path of a large metal thing with black, spokeless wheels that made a frightening, continuous growl and spewed a foul-smelling smoke as it moved, Gaewon hopped over to Paul's side and tickled his ear, making him swipe in the air. Hey, is that you? Yes. The enchanter took a moment to stroke a blink. Where the hell were you? Observing your cathedral tower, you did not mention your ruler. Huh? Cathedral? What ruler? Do not tell me you've never seen the mighty symbol of power and divine right placed on your land. Gaewon pointed, remembered Paul could not see him, then reached up, placed his hands on either side of his head, and turned. Huh? Oh, that thing? That's just the chapel tower. Looks impressive, but you get used to it. Visitors are forever photographing the thing. Who is your king? We don't have a king. No? King? Then... Don't get yourself in a tizzy, Gaewon. That's just a place for people to worship God on certain days. 
Paul stepped out of the enchanter's grasp. You worship a god on certain days? Which god? Gawan could think of many religions and beliefs on Phaic that worshipped certain gods on their respective days. He personally viewed such a lifestyle as most tiresome, having to genuflect and pray every day to someone or other. You'd spend all your time offering supplication to fickle deities and never get anything else done. The God? The Supreme Deity? Yeah. He gets called many names here. And if you happen to be one of the Christian faith, you get to worship God on certain days in that chapel. You are not of this faith that builds towers to God? Paul shrugged. Well, towers are okay, I suppose. Pretty and all that. I just don't have much confidence in what they try to make you believe. Hmm. About to ask how they had decided on a gender for the supreme deity, Gawan noted a curious passerby. Um, let us discuss your philosophy another time when it does not appear that you speak to the air. Oh, yeah. Hey, there's one of my acting teachers. Hang her a sec while I go talk to him for a moment. Paul skipped off to greet an elderly but sprightly-looking gentleman that strolled casually up the slate walkway. Having no other options and wondering how to hang a sec, whatever that was, the word did not translate via the effect of the transfer key. Gaywan stepped over to the trunk of one of the large trees and leaned against it, happy to enjoy the familiar presence, yet another thing similar between worlds. Finding a comfortable trough in the bowl, he settled himself and observed the passing world with interest. Though dress and colloquial speech were expectedly strange, he noted that gestures and facial expressions were universally recognizable. Even the infinitely translatable shrug was evident among the men and women of varying ages and colors walking past, much to his amusement. He reflected on his unnoticed, until now, realization that Paul was no more out of the ordinary than any of his fellows strolling the grounds, just as he, Gaywan, was nothing unusual on his world. Well, almost. It pleased him to see women associating freely with the men at what appeared to be equal status, something he wished his society would learn more readily. Their clothing intrigued him as well, many of the females wearing little more than short chemises over short pants, leaving little to his imagination, which was more accustomed to heavy, uncomplimentary clothing. Quite an interesting place. He enjoyed the bounce of one girl's attributes as she jogged past to catch up with a friend. Someone stopped. Suddenly, Gaywan was aware of a man standing in the midst of the traffic flow. With one forearm parallel to the ground, his bejeweled wrist exposed, the man stared in his direction. Unnerved, but in control, the enchanter remained motionless and observed the stranger, his sixth sense keening. The newcomer was tall and slim, a little less than Gaewan's height, with almost jet black hair and a trimmed beard that framed his mouth with a tuft at the chin, much like a goat's. 
He wore a dark suit, shiny black shoes, and held in his other hand a stained leather satchel with a brass clasp and handle anchors. A cut ribbon of striped red and black, something the enchanter had noticed to be a standard of apparel, especially among the more mature males, hung from around the collar of his stark white shirt, which was partially covered by a gray vest that peeked out from the fronts of his coat. Though nearly twenty paces away, Gaewan could not help being drawn into the man's hypnotizing eyes that glared coldly in his direction. With a curious frown that hinted of danger, the bearded man stepped a little closer, his eyes burning into the space where Gaewan stood. Panicking at the thought of being discovered, Gaewan looked around briefly, trying to get a bearing on Paul, but his friend was nowhere in sight. Opening his mind to blink merely afforded him a jumble of non-meaning words between Paul and whomever he was speaking with. Where, where is it? I, I, I can't, no, no, no rehearsals. <laughs> he noted the intruder's stare faltered at that moment, yet he did not relent. Moving even closer, lifting his arm upward and angling fingers as if to touch the air. Something cold and dreadful reached out for the enchanter. Then, remembering a teaching in mental discipline, Gaewan forced himself to avert his eyes and lock his gaze on a leaf dangling just above and behind the man while consciously dismissing any idea of being discovered. The stranger seemed to almost stumble as his vague contact with Gaewan was broken. The deep flame of the man's black eyes dimmed as they strayed with discomfiture. He started turning away, then glanced back again with a furious glare. A squirrel obliged his curiosity by scampering up the tree, straightening his suit and snorting with contempt at his own foolishness. He stalked off. Disturbed with this unexpected near penetration of his invisibility, Gaewan followed the stranger. It was reassuring to see everyone else ignore his existence, yet this man's awareness had shaken his confidence in the effectiveness of his power on this world. The possibility of inefficacy in his incant would prove a hazard if he wanted to keep his anonymity or be able to protect himself. Not wanting to lose sight of the dark man, he walked quickly, deftly dodging others in his path. He glanced about several times in an effort to locate Paul, but to no avail, and he pressed his pursuit. The stranger, whom Gaewan had now dubbed Dark Seer, for lack of his proper name, slowed to a stop in the square before the cathedral tower and looked about, then glanced at his bejeweled wrist again as a myriad of people passed and crossed paths around him. Gaewan took up a position roughly ten paces away and to the side, near a round cylinder that seemed to be a larger version of what he had seen in Paul's room holding wadded-up paper, and he watched a distant thought wondered if these paper containers were used as collectors for offerings to their god, for they seemed to be everywhere. The dark seer waved suddenly, his stern expression breaking into a wide smile of white, evenly set teeth, his cheerful eyes still holding their dark ember of coldness in the recesses of their pupils. 
Gaewon followed his line of sight, seeing a slender, feminine form return the wave and start running towards him. She looked oddly familiar. As she neared, the enchanter identified the dark hair blowing back and the glowing smile. Marie, this man is the prophet she's meeting? Taken aback at the coincidence, Gaewon could only stare at the approaching young woman. How will she relate to her teacher? Marie giggled with delight as she ran into the dark seer's outstretched arms. <laughs> Each hugged the other with a restrained lust gleaming in their eyes. She eagerly tilted up her head and kissed him passionately. <laughs> Hello, my darling. Feeling like he had just been punched in the stomach, Gaewon stood in shock and stared in disbelief at the couple. Remembering Paul's lament, he now knew why she was withholding her affection. They relaxed their embrace and chatted cheerfully. I almost didn't make it here on time. I had to prepare the usual for our project. No problems otherwise, I should hope. How's the apparent diagnosis? Thinking it's better for the moment. I'm sure the ups and downs must be frustrating. I'll be glad when we're done. Soon, I hope. Soon enough. Let's not discuss this here. <laughs> With fists clenched, Gaewon's thoughts and emotions raced toward their unpleasant conclusion. He glanced over his shoulder at the spiring tower with its faint image of mockery as he reflected for a moment on whether this was a symbol of the heart of this society. Falsehoods with fierce illusions of truth. This cannot be. She consumed the elixir. He knew not of the exact effects the potion had on one whose devotion faded, but had been told it would sicken such an individual and disorient them until they openly faced their mate and sealed the demise of their relationship. Such a commitment was not a thing to be trifled with, for the elixir served to bond the consenting couple on all levels, physical and psychic, outer and inner. Perhaps the laws of this world are different. Perhaps this is why Paul is sick and not her. Yet the elixir's effect being spiritual should be infinite through all worlds and universes. He felt his confidence wane, his powers and those things upon which he relied appearing unexpectedly impotent. Then he considered the effect of this dark seer. How much time do you have right now? Depends, my girl. What's on your agenda? As much as I can get, of course. <laughs> Perhaps he is somehow nullifying the magic. He had about settled on this decision. Ah, my insatiable wench. It just so happened. What? <laughs> Marie snatched the man's leather satchel and guarded it under an arm while peering lasciviously back at him. She playfully licked her upper lip. This erotic expression distorted his every memory of the Marie that had bonded herself with Paul on Fayek. Naughty girl, didn't your mother ever tell you not to take other person's property? Can't say she did, lover. <laughs> the dark seer wagged a warning finger at her and made a grab for his case, Marie twirling out of reach just as she had with Paul. Are we looking for a private lesson right now? Well, that depends on who's the teacher, doesn't it? The one who carries the briefcase. In this case... Aha! The interchange was clearly one of fun, and the mock contest soon ended in another kiss between them as she pinched his rear. 
You win this round, Maximilian. Hey, are you okay? It took Gaewon a moment to realize the voice was directed at him. <sighs> he clamped down the last of the bestial urges and lifted weary eyes to see a young man looking down at him in a friendly fashion. The enchanter found this fellow subtly inconsistent in dress and mannerism from the blue-breeched, thin-shirted others, most wearing packs on their backs. This one was different. He wore loose-fitting corded breeches cinched by a wide brown belt with a large squarish buckle that looked more like a fancy brooch, bluestone encrusted in a circle of blackstone. In his hands were a neat hard leather case and a cane wrapped with black cloth. But what grabbed Gaewan's attention specifically was the silver medallion dangling from a snake-link chain around the collar of his loose shirt. Here, too, was more bluestone inlaid silver in the shape of something like a claw. A talisman. Is this a young mage? He looked into the young man's eyes of bright blue that seemed to leap out at him. You can see me. I don't walk around with my nose in the air, if that's what you mean. What, you speak the language too? <laughs> he turned back to see just the grass. This was too much. Unnerved by the young man's nonchalance, Gaewan had taken advantage of the moment the fellow had turned away and, on top of whatever invisibility was afforded him from his cloak masquerading as a long jacket, invoked upon himself the invisibility spell he usually reserved for his elf horse, Maledon, then stood up and stalked off. His thoughts choked with all the strange events, he wandered back to the tree where Paul had left him. He saw his friend approaching the same spot from another angle and was thankful he had not been missed. 
It further disquieted him to see Paul holding his gut in obvious discomfort, the virus apparently tightening its grip again. The crimson and black worm from his nightmare floated in the forefront of his thoughts. You still here? Yes, Paul. Sorry I took so long. You are feeling ill again. Let us return to your room. Paul was touched at hearing the sorrow in his friend's voice. At least somebody cares. Well, didn't you want to go to the medical school and see Marie or something? I have seen enough for now. God's more than enough. And I will be seeing her again soon. And challenging her infidelity. Your well-being is more important right now. Back to your bed, sir. Gaewon forced a little cheer despite his black mood. Gladly. I knew I wouldn't feel good for long. He lumbered off with the enchanter following, unseen. As they marched up the steps to his dormitory, Paul stopped and leaned wearily against the outer door. Ugh. God damn, my head hurts. Just when I thought I might be shaking this damn bug off. Got to get some sleep. Feeling overly warm and sweaty, he climbed the stairs forcibly, not noticing when Glink hopped off his shoulder. Gaewan followed silently, his growing concern for Paul's illness outweighing his worries over everything else that had occurred. He mulled over what Paul had told him about the virus afflicting him. He had described it as a tiny animal. His body channels indicated something wrong with his digestive organs. The dream ghost with its crimson and black worm eating out the dark man's gut stared at him from memory. Who put this thing in there? How can I combat it? As they entered the second floor, he was so submerged in his thoughts that he nearly missed what was spoken from an open door they passed. Stopping suddenly, he peered into the room to see three young men sitting on the floor with numerous books open in their laps. None of them appeared to have spoken at all, each concentrating on the pages before them, oblivious to their associates. Gaewan's eye was drawn to a glowing box sitting at the foot of one of the beds in the room, the voice emanating from behind a hypnotizing pattern of shifting colors that partially illuminated the room. Gaewan marveled at this wonderful device and guessed that no one watched it because of how it hurt his eyes to stare at it for very long, though it reminded him remotely of his crystal. <sighs> then he recalled Paul's discussion with him about magic on this world. Warlocks! That glowing box must be their equivalent to a crystal! Witches! Paul! These are evil men here in your home! Forgetting he was still invisible, the Enchanter stood back and readied himself for a confrontation with the Warlocks that had intruded on the Prince of Light's abode, oblivious to the curious faces that turned to look vaguely in his direction. A hand groped around the air beside Gaewan before locating his shoulder, gripping it hard, and yanking him away from the open door. 
Impatient and irritable, Paul pushed him against the wall. Those are not witches, you nitwit. He felt strange ranting at the bricks in the wall, yet at the same time feeling a person under his hands. They smoke grass that stinks up the hall, they play the rock music too damn loud, but they're not witches. Now come on before you get yourself into real trouble. Keeping a firm hand pressed against Gaewan's chest, he peeked around the open door to see if the others were still looking for the strange accuser. To his relief, they had returned to their studying, ignoring whatever they might have heard from Gaewan and the cartoons that blared out of the television. The effort in controlling the Enchanter had taken its toll, though, and he felt the gnawing pain worsen in his gut. <sighs> he staggered down the hall, no longer caring if the Enchanter was behind him. Feeling suitably ashamed with himself for embarrassing his friend, Gaewan cursed at his carelessness before following, hopelessly befuddled by all the words thrown at him. Sound plays of this second novel were written, recorded, directed, mastered, and produced by Kurt Paul Hotelling. Copyright 2023. Character voices for Episode 3 are performed by Kevin Norris, Geraldine Cummings, Matthew Tunai, Puffin Muffin, and H. The Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com, on Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller, or can be purchased directly from the author. Merely submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Mocha Music, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed under Lieber Lieber Creative Commons. Sound effects and original foley provided by freesound.org, mix kit of Victoria, Australia, Cusp Studios, and the BBC Library. This was recorded on location in the universe. Thank <laughs> you.